Official Titans podcast, better known as the OTP. Amy Wells is here. Hello, Mike. Joining me, Mike Keith. And Hi, Titans, Mike. Titans Radio's Dave McGinnis is here. Most amazingly, I think, Jim White from TitansOnline.com is here. And I say that because how could you get away from the mailbag long enough to come be part of the OTP? <laughs> yeah, these mailbags, I mean um, – if 20 of them make it, there's probably 80 to 100 that don't. And sometimes it's because it's the same question. Sure. A lot of them are around Marcus Mariota. Sometimes there's just a little bit too much venom in there. Some The expletive-filled tirades don't make it into the mailbag. Oh, you should do That's like a an, shame. Yeah. Shouldn't he do like an X-rated, <laughs> a non-rated mailbag? Like- <laughs> But it, it, but, uh, but I love the passion of the fan right. base. And that's why, you know, when I started doing it, um, you know, it's it's easy to do them after wins and when all's good and everybody's praising you. But when fans, you know, fans want to sound off, and you guys have all dealt with it, you know, uh, whether it's on talk radio or, or or radio shows that this team produces, and and fa- when fans are not up, not happy with the way things are going, I want to give them a voice in there as well. I mean, so, I can't always answer the questions, but at least I let them vent if that's what they're looking to do. So what's the number one topic? If you got a hundred total, you know, questions, what what what's the biggest topic? Marcus Mariota. I mean it's it's and some people are signing off on him and, and ripping him and questioning whether he's this team's future. Uh, then I think it never fails that then the next mailbag is people that have seen what other people have said about Marcus and they're defending him and and the thing about this stretch is that we've had a game on Thursday so you got a mailbag on Saturday you got another mailbag that did yesterday another mailbag so it'll be three mailbags by the time this team plays another game on Sunday against the Falcons and a lot of them are kind of hammering home what we saw in Jacksonville, and it's you know after that performance, I get it. I mean, I, I get why fans are upset, but uh, I'm hoping that the mood will be different on Monday morning when I start opening up some of those emails. You know, I mean, that's look, that's part of that's part of being a fan. And when I when I signed on to do this three years ago, I did an extra segment. I did an hour Monday morning. You know, with it, with it, with it, on on the zone 104.5, they asked me if I'd you know come in and do another segment. I said sure. And I wanted all the calls. <clears throat> I want, you know, let the people talk. Let them talk because it, if they're talking, they're interested. And they're interested because they care. And they care and they want you to do well. So, yeah, it's it's fine. And I agree with with, with Jim. I mean, it's it, it's just because, you know, the fan base, the fan base does care. So, you know, give them a voice and then try to try to try to explain. You don't you don't try to you, you don't try to to defend you just i try to explain now, i've got a little bit of an advantage because i've got 34 years of experience in sure. this league i've been through the ups and the downs of what this league is and it's all based it's all based on performance because at the end of the day if you win that covers up everything and everything is not perfect but if you win it covers it up if you lose everything's wrong in some people's minds that's not true in either case so the calls that you have taken on the various shows that you have done coach mack do you find the same thing? Jim's finding the majority start with the quarterback. Well, absolutely, and it starts with the quarterback, and it you know it, it starts with the, it starts with the offense, 
You know, they just, they, they, you know, they just, and again, and as I explained, you know, about the Jacksonville game, I mean, that was a hard thing to watch just because of all the start and stop because of the penalties. I mean, that was so chopped up and, and so, and, 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 and the league did something about it and, and they had to because it was, and you, you'd ask me this question on Coach Vrabel's show. If I, if I really thought that, that Tom Brady's tweet had anything to do with it, well, I don't think it was the linchpin that started it, but he was expressing something from a point of view that a lot of people don't have. I mean, that that made that game extra hard. You know, on top of the loss, it was just extra hard to watch for a viewer because of everything that was happening, and most of the things that were happening bad, penalty-wise, were happening to the Titans. I think that all of this and what we need to remember, though, yes, fans are frustrated. Yes, that game against Jacksonville was ugly. It's also week three, guys. Like, we can't completely come unhinged yet. There's still so much football to play. There's so much of the season left and anything is possible anything can still happen in this league there's so many things that can change I understand that people feel the need to vent and I think it's so good that people have the opportunity to have touch points like coach Mack and Jim Wyatt to be able to get some of that information to get some more context to what they're seeing on the field but we can't completely come undone guys it's too early (laughs) we've got a long way to go and to completely write this season off as a loss because we are one and two right now doesn't seem like the best plan to me. I think fans who are writing this team off and have decided that there's too many things that are broken, nothing will be fixed, it's over, I think they're going to miss out on a lot of fun this season. Well, the Titans and the Falcons are in largely the same boat, both one and two. Both have gotten off to bad starts in games, and that has hurt them. Both have a lot of mistakes many of which have been self-inflicted and both can still win their respective divisions the falcons are a game out of first in the nfc south the titans are a game out of first in the afc south this is one of those games this week you feel like somebody wins at mercedes-benz stadium and takes a step right back into it the other team stays in the malaise their Jim Wyatt's mail, you know, mailbag gets filled up with whatever, and Coach Mack doing the shows, whether it be the Atlanta Coach Mack, which is Dave Archer, or our Coach Mack, keep getting the calls. Somebody's really happy and goes into October saying, we're 2-2, two and two, we're alive. Somebody else goes, wait a minute. Yeah, because you're in catch-up mode at that point. But, but you know, no matter what happens on Sunday, it's still not a lost cause. I mean, we look back at the Texans last year. They started 0-3. They end up winning the division with 11 wins. Look, you know, I go back. As, I thought it was interesting. Keith Boyd. Well, Indianapolis time, started 1-5. Right, mm-hmm. and got, got back in it. And then – uh, I thought it was interesting. Keith Bullock even chimed in. He just kind of did it in humor about if Twitter and social media would have been alive in 2002, I guess, when this team started uh, one in four and then ended up winning 11 games going to the AFC Championship game. If Twitter would have been alive, he would have had a lot of blowback, I guess, when the season ended for the people who questioned where the team was at that point. But um, there's time. I mean, I'll, I'll say, and nobody around here no player no coach would take this attitude but when the i looked at the schedule and this was especially true when the taylor lewan suspension came down the pike i thought if you could get to two and two after four games you'd be in pretty good shape and with a win on sunday this team has a chance to be two and two and then uh with you know with with the chance to then pick up some momentum so 
we'll see what happens. I mean, the Falcons are talented. You know, I've had a chance to watch a couple of their games because they were on TV against the Eagles. You know, we were on on Sunday when the Titans weren't playing and very talented. I mean, got some great receivers, got a quarterback who's really good, but they can be beat, and, and we've seen it already this year. You know, the NFL flips week to week. I mean, I just lived it for too many years, and it flips week to week. And, 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 and the people in the building, your coaches and, and your scouts and everybody involved and the players, they have a chance to flip it. They're the ones that have a chance to flip it. And so that's what – I mean, that's the life in the NFL. If you have, if, if you are, if you have a win – you feel good. Everybody in the building feels good, but you still have to reset because next week you have to win and you have to start preparations because it's a brand new it, it's a brand new team. And uh, you know, to, to to Jim's point about when you look at the schedule, as coaches, when you look at the schedule, and as players, you think you're going to win every game because that's the mindset you go into preparation to win every game, regardless of who's there. I mean, because the league is unforgiving like that, but also you get a chance to reset every week. This is another chance to reset. I think the thing that is sticking in people a little bit more is that these were division losses to teams that the Titans have a history with. I think that's the extra kind of knife in the side to all of this. I think that those are personal games. Those are emotional games. And so that's what's causing a little bit more of the reaction than we would see otherwise. Um, I think a lot of people agreed that getting out of this first stretch, the first quarter of the season that was really a challenging one. I mean, having a Thursday night game in week three is not an easy task. And I think everyone agrees with Jim saying that if we could come out of that two and two, we'd be in a pretty good spot. But it's the emotional letdown of Ugh, the Jags, Ugh, the Colts. Well, you didn't win you know? the Colts. If you win the Colts... You're two and zero, oh, and then in essence, you're playing with house money. Right. I said when the schedule came out, I hated the Jacksonville game on Thursday night in Week Three because win or lose, Indianapolis is emotional, and that's when we thought Andrew Luck was still going to be there. We didn't know they were going to retire numbers. We didn't know. We, I mean, it was. It's just. It's an emotional game because the Titans haven't beaten them regularly. And so, win or lose, you're going to have a hard time getting on a plane Wednesday to go play Thursday. It's just and, – and everybody has these moments in the schedule. Everybody can make a complaint. It's part of it. You know, that one, that one is tough, but not as disappointing, I think, as Indianapolis because Indianapolis is a home game. It's a division game. It's winnable. It gives you a chance to go to 2-0. and And if you're 2-0, and Coach Mack, then you go into Jacksonville saying, eh, let's let it ride. Yeah, well, your analogy of house money is correct, and that, that's what happens. You know, but, again, you play these things one at a time. Right. And, and the, the basic thing that you do, if you stack wins, okay, there, there's, there, there's two things that happen in the National Football League. If you lose two in a row – you can still come back to life. Once you get to three in a row and past that, which I've experienced, I've experienced six in a row and resetting and winning eight out of the next ten. And so, it, but once you, if you get to two, two losses in a row, you can still reset. And to your point, if you've got house money in the bank going into something, then you've got a chance every week to still stay even. That was the biggest, and, and I agree with you, Mike. I think the whole thing with Indianapolis, the whole thing with, with how emotional it was, and the fact that you had a chance to win that football game several times 
in the fourth quarter and weren't able to do it at home, I think that it, there was a hangover from that. And you had a chance to win over a fan base that has questions and, and um, at national media, local media, whatever, that has specific questions. You go down the field at the end of that game and win 20-19, to 19, Everybody who is there is definitely back for Buffalo, and others are fired up, and everybody's talking about you, and the energy's good. Now suddenly the the air comes out of the balloon, and then you go to Jacksonville, and you don't put the air back in the balloon. And so right now, everybody's sort of just sucking wind. And you got 10 days to talk about And you got 10 days to do it. (laughs) That's a bad thing. All right, I want to ask Coach Mack a question here about uh, what Coach Vrabel did on Monday with the practice. Came out, individual, fundamentals. That's the whole thing, and that's what he's been talking about. He's been talking about accountability and fundamentals. As a coach, from a motivational standpoint and from a practical standpoint, why did he come with that message and that approach during the extra practice time? Well, because that's exactly what you need to do to reset. I mean, it's not about it's not about schemes. It's not about you know it's not about a game plan at that point with that extra practice. You need to get everybody back back to base. Most of the time, you do that as a coach during one or two of the practices in your open date. That's what you do. A Thursday ball game, the Monday after a Thursday ball game is is like a mini open date. That's exactly what you do because you refocus everybody and you refocus everybody on football. You refocus everybody on their individual techniques. You refo- and look to the thing that you have as a player in the National Football League that when things start going sideways, if you've got solid base and solid technique, whatever your position is to fall back on and not only fall back on but to rely on when things are going sideways that gives you that gives you confidence and so i think he did exactly the right thing i've done that too he did exactly the right thing and, and you know and, and and along with that you know team obviously looking ahead to atlanta and now we've got extra time to see what kind of changes could be implemented moving forward i think one of the things i'm curious about is is what happens on the offensive line we've heard mike rabel talk a couple of times since the game in Jacksonville about the potential for Nate Davis being alive. He wants to see him. We've kind of seen Nate, De- Nate Davis make positive steps on the practice field, so now we'll see if this is the week he gets in. And I think when it happens, it's not a matter of easing him in. I think when it's Nate Davis time, he's the guy moving forward. And this offensive line against Buffalo in a couple of weeks potentially could have you know, two-fifths of it look different with Taylor Lewan back and potentially Nate Davis. So we'll see. And, and, and if he does make that move, I don't know that he's going to talk about it before Atlanta. We might just find out uh, on Sunday uh, when the starting lineup, tr- you know, trots out there. But potential for some change uh, during a long stretch as well. I think for Vrabel to say what he has said about Nate Davis, though, gives us the impression, Amy, that if he has a good week of practice, He's definitely in the mix to play for the first time as the Titans for a, as a Titan, if not start. Absolutely, I think that having given him the opportunity to kind of work back and go through some practices has given Coach the chance to see him and build some trust in him. I think that trust is going to be the word when it comes to putting together this offensive line, however it's going to look on Sunday in Atlanta. He's going to be looking for players he can trust, players he can trust to execute what he's asking of them, players he can trust to not make stupid penalties, and 
I think that if Nate Davis can earn that spot this week, he'll get a chance to do it. That's kind of how Mike Vrabel has operated since he's got here is you work, you work, you work, you earn a little bit of trust, and then you get some opportunities. And then when you show you can handle them, you get a little bit more. I think that Nate Davis is working that program right now. He's earning some opportunities, we think, and we'll see what he does with them to maybe get a spot on the field on Sunday. Yeah, Nate Davis is like Rashawn Evans was last year. He missed a vital part of training camp, which is, is, is I don't care where you're drafted. I don't care where you've come from. If you miss the initial part of training camp in the National Football League as a rookie, you are behind because it is just different. All right, now, he's had a chance now to start to work. And, and if, if he starts this ball game and plays in this ball game, then he's going to get a chance to do that. But he's going to do it under fire because I tell you who else is going to know that he's in there is Grady Jarrett and, and Quinn and those people, you know, people on their on defense. There, there's no mercy in the National Football League. And so Mike Vrabel will not put him in there if he doesn't think he's ready to go in there. But at the same time, let's not put a whole uh, huge expectations just because Nate Davis is going to go out there that, I mean, he's going to have to fight, fight fight when he gets out there because everything's going to be until you prove until you prove that you are not a weak link in the chain they are always going to attack that link that they think they can so he goes in this ball game he's going to have to prove that he can stand up and he probably has a pretty good chance to do that but the good thing for the titans with this prospect is this is a guy they targeted this is a guy oh, they I, said, and I, I think there's a pretty good shot, and obviously if it, the three of you disagree, if he stays healthy through training camp, I think there's a pretty good shot he's the right tackle or the right guard at Cleveland. No, I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that wholeheartedly. I, 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 I vetted this guy. You know, how many why pe- did you like him and why did they like him? Well, because he's physically, he's, 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 he's physically what you want, and he can move. And he's a, he's a strong guy. He's powerful. He's able to move his feet. He's not just a big, thick guard that's going to just be a, 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 a just a cylinder guard. I mean, he can move his feet. He can do all of those things. Now, everybody talks about the stance that he had. Well, you can fix the stance quick. But the athleticism and also the, the physical toughness, and he had a mindset. You watched him. And I don't care what level you're playing on. You're either a tough physical football player or you're not that's just in you he's got that i agree with you 100 percent. if he's healthy from the jump he'd be the starter at cleveland yeah and and when you start to figure about if, if if he was not the starter, then kevin pomfield maybe should have been the starter so jamil douglas who has actually been in there number three in the pecking order which doesn't explain all the problems because across the board i mean the titans have got to be better i mean roger seifold has said it uh, I think Jack Conklin said it. Dennis Kelly has said it. I mean, it's not it's not just been a Jamil Douglas problem that Nate Davis is going to fix. I mean, I kind of across the board, guys have to be better. I don't get the sense that it's been c- communication problems. I mean, uh, so when a new guy comes in, I don't think you continue to have problems there. I just think physically, guys got to play with better technique. They've got to hold up better. Uh, Marcus is going to have to do his part to get rid of the football. But I think when Nate Davis is in there, I think you start improving uh, the group. I'm going to go back to Rashawn Evans. I mean, we all knew that he had ability, okay? But he, you know, he missed all that time. But the first time you saw him in the ball game was Buffalo, right? You could see the athleticism, but you could also see and that's a different position, but a little bit of the hesitation. But clearly, you could see, and he got better really quick. I think Nate Davis will be the same way. He's going to get better very quick once he starts getting live reps. Here's the thing with the offensive line that makes it so much different than other positions: is all of those guys have to work 
kind of in unison. They're a group, and there's so much chemistry. I mean, they've been saying since training camp that it's not necessarily the most talented guys. It's the guys that work best together. So I think that with the injuries, with some of the goofy things that have happened to the offensive line since training camp and in the first part of this season, I think it's still kind of finding that perfect configuration of what creates the best chemistry, what creates the best group of guys that can work together well. It's one of the reasons the Lawan suspension was such a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because he didn't work with the ones all through camp because you couldn't. You knew you weren't going to have him for the first month of the season. I mean, that that becomes, from the chemistry standpoint, that's a huge factor because if you have your left tackle, and you want to experiment with other things, you can do that. Right now, Dennis Kelly has to be your left tackle, and frankly, you've had to help him some. He's done okay. You know, I don't I don't think he's been spectacular. He certainly hasn't been a washout either, which is what you what you really hoped, right? Yeah, well, you know, one guy is never going to be the answer, but to your point, the plans that they had going in when they drafted Nate Davis, when they when they re-signed the people they wanted to re-sign, you know, when Jack Conklin was coming back another year removed from the surgery, the plans that they had, they had to completely switch all of those things and start searching other plans when you knew that your, your left tackle was going to be suspended for a month. And then you start adding injuries on that, and Jamil Douglas is a great example of it, and, and Jim White's 100% right. He was the third guard that, that would have probably been in there, but he had to be the first guard. And so that's just what happened. That's what happened. Now they're moving forward. But as I said, you get a chance every week in the National Football League to reset, and that's what you do as a coach. And the Titans reset the practice squad too, and this is largely based on the fact that Lawan is back in a week. And that Nate Davis appears to be available, so they let Adam Pankey go off the practice squad, and they added another defensive lineman, Lyndon Johnson, who spent a bunch of time with Jacksonville, including three games on the active roster. Quick reset on the practice squad, in case you haven't been following on defense. Kareem Moore in the secondary. Uh, Ukeme Aligwe at linebacker. Derek Roberson at outside linebacker. Lyndon Johnson and Amani Bledsoe in the defensive line. And then on offense, four res- or three receivers, Khalif Raymond, Poppy White, Cody Hollister, running back Dalen Dawkins, and Parker Hesse at tight end. I think interesting thing with Lyndon Johnson, he brought up, he's 6'5", 287. He has some experience with Jacksonville. My understanding that he potentially could be a project on the offensive line himself uh, as things move forward. You think so he could go on the offensive that's line? That's what I've he- heard. He potentially could be a project there. Uh, Love a good I- project. I don't know how this is going to play out once he gets on the practice field, but I think I think he was brought in here with the potential that he could be a project even on the offense. Wow, okay. Yeah. Jim White with news. How about that? <laughs> well, Johnson's an interesting guy. He's a football and basketball player in high school. He's from West Point, Mississippi. And he ended up at Holmes Community College. Of course, Mississippi has that great junior college athletic system. Then he goes to Cincinnati, and he's there three years, and he really only played two. He had one year of injury. Jacksonville liked him as a defensive lineman uh, to the point that they played him in three games and then they brought him back in, in training camp. And I mean, he's apparently a very athletic guy. So, boy, that would make a lot of sense. We'll see. And, and, and it, I guess it's good to have a guy – you talk about guys being versatile. <laughs> if you can do uh, 
offense or defense. Well, you know, and that's yeah. Parker Hesse, too, because right. Parker Hesse's defensive line experience allows him on the practice field to play offense and defense, which is a great thing for scout teams. All right, two more things before we depart. Uh, first thing that I want to know, and I want to hit Coach Mack with this, and the other two of you may certainly chime in if you will. I, I want a theory on an issue with the offense that, that I have noticed. First half passing. They've had two halves where they've been under 50% passing. And we all know Marcus Mariota is very accurate, coming off the most accurate year of his career. He was 8 of 18 passing in the first half at Cleveland. Last Thursday at Jacksonville, 6 of 16 for 62 yards. And he was only sacked once in the first half. Eight of the sacks came in the second half. Overall, Titans completing just 27 of 50 in the first half, passing of the three games. And again, not all on Mariota, certainly. I'm wondering, Dave McGinnis, why has the Titans passing game not been as effective in the first half? Well, it doesn't really matter which half, but you're talking about the first half. You've got to be you've got to be in rhythm, all right. And whether you're running play action or whether you're taking five or seven step drops, everything has to sync up. Now it might it you know, and some of it is Marcus. Some of it is Marcus. We've seen open receivers on dig routes, on deep routes, on on you know on even bootleg routes where he's throwing them where he's throwing them out of bounds. Some of it is on the quarterback. Right. All right. Now. He may not have been sacked in the first half, all right, but there was pressure. Right. There, okay, so all, all there's three things that have to work for a passing game to click consistently. Okay, the first thing that has to happen is is you need some sort of protection from to two and a half seconds. You need some sort of protection there. Then your receivers, okay, post-snap need to be able to, if it's man-to-man, they need to be able to separate in man-to-man. If it's zone, they have to read which zone it is, when it is, and sit down and in conjunction with the quarterback, get in sync with that. If And then the quarterback has to be accurate with his throws. If any one of those three is off, you are not going to have a complete pass. That's just the way the National Football League works. These first three weeks in the first half, all of those things have, have, have raised their head at some point during the first half. Listening to Coach Mack describe that just then, it's a miracle that any pass play ever works ever in the National Football League. It, it truly is. It really is. <laughs> Rhythm, though. You said that, and now he was 13 of 16 in the Indianapolis game, but they only threw for 94 yards, so it's not like they had a lot you know, working down the field. When you talk about developing that rhythm – is that because they rely on play action a good bit and teams don't bite on play action as much in the first half because you haven't necessarily had a chance to establish your running attack? Or is it is it Arthur Smith getting used to getting in that rhythm himself with play calling? How do you how do you see it? Well, I thought Arthur was in great rhythm the first ball game you know oh, of yeah. the year. But you have to you have to you have to consistently be able to do it. And here's here's the other thing. Here's the other thing about about a, about a passing game. If you're playing from behind, okay, which they have been in all three games. That's and hit, that, that was going to be my next segue into this as a defensive coach. Your, your, your mindset changes. What you tell your players changes, too, on the sideline. You're not honoring a play-action run fake very much. And so it only takes, it only takes a, a second-level player, a linebacker or a safety, to not take two steps forward for all of a sudden those windows that, you, that are normally there in play-action. When you're practicing play-action passes out here, you guys have been to a lot of practices, the one thing you always tell the linebackers, bite up. 
bite up so we can get an accurate look. Well, if you're in a ball game and they're not they're not honoring the play action, well then that changes what you can do with your play action pass. All right, if they're not doing that and they're and they're and they're going to sit and squeeze those zones off to the inside, sometimes you're relegated to dump off, dump off, dump off to get them to start moving up. All right, that plays into it some. It's hard to add to what Coach Mack said because he's so thorough on that explanation and I agree with everything he said I think obviously and with only one sack in the first half on Thursday doesn't explain some of the issues that uh, maybe have happened in other games where the team has been in longer down and distance situation when it's throwing the football and then they're tougher to complete a, a, a longer pass um, and Marcus has frankly just missed some guys I mean there, there have been some throws that uh, uh, and he has been accurate certainly I think uh, you know certainly last year, but he's he's missed some guys and the communication issues there. Not guys now on the same page. That has to improve moving forward for this to get better. Watching the three. Oh, you wanted to say? Yes, I do. <laughs> just 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 what he said. No, and and it's 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 a point. The opening play against Indianapolis. I mean, we watched it in practice for a week. It was very well designed. You had the, all the bite that you wanted. Okay, you had you had the linebackers up, you had the safeties up. I mean, they swallowed the hook like a big fat catfish. I mean, they were they were they were pulled up, and you miss him. You know, you you miss Delaney Walker. That's all on the quarterback. So there's, as I said, there's a lot of components that have to work. Okay, but early on, when your play action is working, then you have to be accurate. And that cha- I mean, that was going to be a huge play too, and that changes the whole start of that game because if you complete that you're potentially i've watched that play again a couple of times if he makes a guy miss he goes a really long way jim let me give you a little point here then i'll quit talking don't watch it again it's still incomplete no matter how many times you watch it it's incomplete (laughs) but it's like the screen to derrick henry that's what i was at at jacksonville and that leads me to my last point i'll give amy the first crack at it arthur smith calling plays I've watched the three games back. They've made some good plays, uh, certainly did in the Cleveland game. But there were other plays that were there that if executed, like the Delaney Walker play, like how he timed that screen, there were a couple other things. The deep shot to Tajay Sharp, which if accurately thrown, it's a touchdown uh, in Jacksonville. It seems like he may be pretty good at this thing. And I, and you're, you're not thinking that at one and two because everything feels negative. But when you do the deep dive, you're saying, huh, okay, this if this keeps coming together, he might have this down. I think that he's really good at it. I think that this is in his wheelhouse. He's called, if you look back, a pretty balanced game. He's had some of the deep plays, the big plays in there, whether they've happened or not. But I, he switches it up a lot. I think that he can only do so much, though. The man's calling the plays. He's preparing for whatever happens after that. He's getting ready for the next one, trying to stay ahead of the game a little bit. But he can't. He cannot throw and catch the ball. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean, at some point, he can call whatever he can call, and he can strategize as best as he can. But if that is not translating to the field and that's not being executed by the people who need to execute it, that's a problem. But it looks like the plays are there. Yeah, I mean, Arthur, what's what's the old saying? Uh, rising tide raises all boats. Right. Mm-hmm. If everything works, then everything you've done is right. If you don't win a ball game, again, that's the nature of the National Football League. 
you don't win a ball game, then the focus immediately goes to the negatives, which it should because you need to correct it. But there are also things that go on that when you, as to your term, Mike, you take a deeper dive and start looking at it. Now, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear about the deep dive because they don't want to go that far, and sometimes they don't know what they're looking for when they go that far. But to your point about Arthur Smith, I've really got no issues with the way Arthur Smith is structuring nor calling these ball games. And and that's with a quarterback that's been sacked 17 times, and that's with so many third downs where you're in a predictable play call situation. Teams know you're throwing it, so he's had to work through all of that as well. Jim, let's let, let's not only say third downs. Check the second check the second and seven pluses in the first three well, ball the games. Six too. holding calls. Check I the mean, and so I mean you know second and twenty. Is a, is, a, is, a, is a huge, huge, really small call sheet when you start putting call sheets together. So, I mean, we're talking about things that are obvious that have happened, and, and all anybody wants is a win. All That's of it. it. That's all yeah. anybody wants. And, and so, believe me, the people that are working hardest to get that for all of us are these coaches and players. Yeah, it, it just comes down to, to take another phrase, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's a lot of what Vrabel was saying and is saying to the guys. It's like, look, you guys know what you're doing. We, we've got a, a plan. There are things within this plan that you can see will work. We've just got to make sure we're taking care of, you know, the deep things. It's, it's what was disappointing in the Indian, Indianapolis game. And as you take a look back at the Jacksonville game, when you watch play by play by play, you say, oh, my goodness, this was there. And there were these chances. And you, and it's not crazy stuff either. It's not like you have to have the Music City miracle for this to work. It's, it's just these little things. You know, I just did, a, just did a, this weekly beneath the surface thing, and we highlighted the run defense. Right. And we went into that game saying, look, they're going to they're gonna take Fournette, and they're going to try to pound Fournette at us to let Gardner Minshew work. They played as good a run defense as I've seen in a long time. You had one run on a, on a run blitz at the end of the game where Dean Pease was trying to force something to happen right. because you were in desperation time then. So there's things that are going on that you can build on. You just need to put them all together and win a game. And getting off to a good start would, would help. I mean, allowing scores early in these games is affecting mood. I mean, and, and if there's one thing about that game on Thursday, and there were several things that didn't go right, didn't like the way, I guess, the team handled the adversity right out of the gate when Adoree Jackson muffed the punt, and it just seemed like that took too much wind out of this team's sails, and it took them too long to really – get into a flow of the football game and that's got to be better uh, because Atlanta's a team that's capable of scoring early and scoring often and if you find yourself in a hole down there again you can it's could be an ugly another ugly situation but after listening to this conversation and kind of being able to separate out some of the things that are going well from some of the things that maybe need improvement on They're relatively small things. You know, we don't have these overarching system problems. We don't have – it's little stuff. It's details that need to be cleaned up. It's getting back to fundamentals, which this team is doing. It's finding the right pieces to go in the right spots. But darn it, I'm encouraged. I think that this is is something that is 
writable. I'd be more writable? encouraged if Julio Jones <laughs> took the weekend off. Well, okay. If he decided See? that he had the flu or whatever, and he just didn't want to come. Huh. I'll I'll say this about Julio Jones. In my humble opinion, he's the best overall receiver in the National Football League. I agree. Great. Right. I was encouraged yeah, I for too. a minute. It, to me, still it's, be encouraged. It, to me, it's he, he and DeAndre Hopkins. It's, and, I, and I listened to uh, Kenny Vaccaro, who was on, I guess, 104.5 yesterday afternoon, and he's in uh, agreement as well. I mean, he said he's head and shoulders above the best receiver in this league, and this is a guy that's faced him so many times when he was with the Saints. So he's big, he's physical. The problem is they've got more than just Julio Jones. Well, so. you've got Mohamed Sanu, you've got Ridley, you've got a Pro Bowl tight end in Hooper, you've got a back who can, who can do things out of the backfield in Freeman, who's – 5'8", 210 pounds. I mean, he's essentially a Maurice Jones-Drew type guy. He's a wonderful back. Hard to tackle. Um, And then you got Matt Ryan, who's been the trigger man for 12 years. And I think he's a very underrated player. The interesting thing, why do you think Matt Ryan's thrown six picks to this point, Dave McGinnis? You know, and and that that surprises me some. But Matt Ryan, ever since he's been in the league, has always – first of all, his, his M.O., and even coming out of Boston College, he's a great location thrower. He really is. He's a location accurate thrower. I think some of the times, some some things that happened, it was it happened with these guys that are they're accurate, and so they will take chances in close windows. And they and also it goes with this: when you've got receivers like he has, you are willing to put it up, thinking that a fifty-fifty ball is not really a fifty-fifty ball, whether they're single or double covered. Okay. That probably has something to do with it, too. Here, the thing that impresses me about Matt Ryan, he's always able to right his own ship. He really is. You saw that first half against Indy. He was all over the place. He was spraying the thing everywhere. He came back in that second half. You could see his demeanor on the sideline when they brought the camera over to him. He was like, okay, I've had enough of this. And he came back in that second half and was the Matt Ryan that you know has made him his whole career. Yeah, I went by, I watched the second half again to see that and they were so I mean if they play like that Sunday the Titans are going to you know be in a big time fight which they're going to be in anyway but sure. I mean the the second half Falcons compared to the first half Falcons against Indianapolis it was like they brought another team off the bus yeah and when you get prepared when you prepare to play Matt Ryan and this group of offensive people that they have assembled down there there that's what you have to expect you have to expect and be ready for and and be on point from the jump to play that second half, Matt Ryan. If you're Mike Vrabel and you win the toss, do you take the ball first? No, you defer. Even against that offense sure. in their building? Sure. I got to def- defer to the coach on this one. You defer. <laughs> put your defense out there. Let's go. Show them that you're going to have – show them that you're not going to have success early on. I want to go get ahead seven to nothing. Yes, please. I'm with Mike on this I, one. I think I, I think you. I, I'm going to politely disagree, and just because That's it's okay. pod, just because it's a podcast, and I'm just going to say it would be nice to see you say to your offense, "Go get it, go get it from the start. Let's take the ball right here. We're not worried about the first possession, of the second half. We're worried about right now. We don't want to be behind seven to nothing in this building. Let's go get it because we've got a good plan." And we don't think your defense can stop us. And also, with the mindset, we're going to have to score some points today. Well, the, the defense has done enough to this point to be 3-0 and you know, in terms of what they've allowed. And 
I'm not saying they've been perfect, and they've certainly allowed you know two first drives of the game. They can't do that. I mean, they've they've got to get more pressure. I get it, but in terms of points, the defense has done enough to be three and zero right now in terms of points allowed. I just think that the offense has got to be incredibly aggressive and prepared to go get 35 in this game, and that's got to be the octane mindset. That's me. Yeah, well, I say you're ahead 7-0 because you, you go on defense and Logan Ryan intercepts the first third down slot pass, takes it to the house. Good night, everybody. Yeah, that was a mic drop. <laughs> That's what he does. That's why he's so good. Good stuff. Jim White, TitansOnline.com. Thank you for taking time away from the mailbag. Glad to be here. Glad uh, to get a break from uh, mailbag. The mailbag. And, uh, and Amy Wells, all your good work. Thank you. Coach Dave McGinnis with Titans Radio. Thank you. And to all you listening, hang in there. It's going to be Another okay. ball game on Sunday. Two and two is the only goal. I like it. Depart September two and two, and you're right in the middle of everything. One and three, and Jim White has six hundred in the mailbag waiting for him Sunday night when we land from Atlanta. Poor Jim. <laughs> <laughs> for all these folks, I'm Mike Keith. Thank you for listening to the OTP.